we're going to trust Caleb here. Oh, it's right here. We're trying a clicker today, and it didn't work well in the first service. And so we'll try to see if it works well here in the second service. Ah, it's working. We'll see how far it goes. Caleb, you're my backup, so if anything messes up, you got me. Um, Somebody sent me an article this week on, So You Want to Be a Pastor. And it was written to young people who are excited about the ministry and who want to be pastors. And he said, I want you to count the costs. I don't want to discourage you, but I want you to count the costs. Here are some things that people who want to minister for the Lord um, face. They face some emotional costs. Um, sheep like to bite, and they like to bite hard. And sometimes they wound the pastors. And the pastors, um, they, uh, they go through that, the emotional scars. Some of you know pastors like that. Some have been in our midst pastors like that. And they know the pain that there is from different things. One of my best friends was pastoring for, for close to eight years, nine years. And, and he has emotional scars um, from, from the different ministry that he had there. And so it happens there. We lose sleep at night um, and, and different things happen. Families, there's a f- familiar cost. Uh, people with families, uh, people don't think this. Even in a healthy church, uh, pastor's kids just can't be pastor's kids. Everybody notice that? You know, they got to know all the answers. They got to have everything all in line, everything, everything all settled and all that. And let me just tell you, my kids do not have it all together. All right. I don't know if that's a revelation to any of you guys, but um, I know they, they look perfect on the outside, but boy, are they not. And, 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 but they pay the price. They pay the price being a pastor's kid and wives, boy, the things that wives go through. I'll be sleeping at night, resting, and my wife will still be tossing, turning over something that happened a week or two before. It's different for different families. You have the spiritual costs. Uh, the devil hates what, what pastors do. And, and uh, there's a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. And it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the, 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 the principalities and the powers of the, of the world here and the battles that are there and, and things that happen behind the scenes. I was, I was mentioning how um, when we went, just before we went down to Ecuador, the, the guy that was in charge there, he's a pastor, he was backing up his car and accidentally hit his son and ripped his son's ear off. And um, here he is getting ready to host all these pastors in a conference, in a conference that we're going to do, and yet the devil hates what we're doing. And he had to go through that and watch his son get his ear stitched up and and uh, they, they, thankfully they were able to put the earlobe back on, but, but you talk about an emotional and a spiritual thing. And then you have, which you don't realize this because I'm in amazing shape, the physical cost. Amen. Hey, I got one amen at least. Even my wife in the play didn't give me an amen. You ever notice these pastors that get into the ministry, they got all muscles, they're ripped to shreds in their 20s, and then 10 years later they're bald and fat? What happens to them? Welcome to the ministry. It's tough eating donuts every week. Amen? <laughs> it's a hard ministry. i got to force myself to eat those things. You know, and, you go, and then you go to people's houses, and they're like, Pastor, what? You only had six plates. Have another one. You know, and they feed you, and they feed you, and they feed you. Man, I'm telling you, in Cuenca, we ate banana after banana after banana. We bought this thing of banana, a buck fifty. We were eating bananas through the whole thing. We were just constantly eating. 
it's tough to maintain the muscles and the, and the body that you had before you started this. <laughs> After nine years of being in Argentina, our neighbor said goodbye to us as we were in the car. She looks at Katie. She says, Katie, you're just as beautiful as you were nine years ago. And then she looks at me. <laughs> and she just does this. <laughs> Jeremy, we can tell you've been here nine years. <laughs> we can tell by the looks of you. You've been here nine years. It has taken a toll on you. I was taller then. Now I'm bow-legged. You know? No, I'm kidding around. But it was... I mean, it takes a physical, it's the stress eating that happens through that, the late nights, the, the early mornings, the sleeplessness. So somebody says, all right, you got to go through all that. Why do you even do it? I mean, go, I was happy doing FedEx. Just go back on a truck and go drive the truck and preach to the packages, you know, and throw them around. You don't have to worry about anything else. And you get good benefits and make good money. Why don't you just stay doing that? Well, when you think of John in his later life here, and what is he thinking of? Not of all the hardships of the ministry. He's thinking of the wonderful blessings of the ministry. And here's what he's thinking of. He's thinking of Gaius. You say, who is this guy? Well, that's a great question. In fact, the, the name Gaius in the Bible and in those times was very, very common. It's like the name John. You ever get a Dear John letter? You ever write a Dear John letter? <laughs> They're not the funnest letters to get. Um, here, it's a Gaius letter. Dear Gaius, who is this guy? Well, we got some options in the Bible. We can look at the Gaius of, of Corinth that was there that Paul baptized. And then later on, uh, we see that he hosted a church in his house. Is it that Gaius? How about the Gaius of Macedonia who suffered a riot with with Paul. Everywhere Paul goes, there's trouble. And in Acts 19, it talks about that as he suffered through that in Ephesus. Uh, how about the Gaius of uh, Derby? There's one in there that traveled with Paul and, and, and helped Paul with offerings and different things And as Paul went on a missionary trip. You know what? Tradition says it's the third Gaius. You know what the Bible says? We don't know who it was. So guess which Gaius this is? We don't know who it is. But what we do know is this. Here's what's amazing about this guy. Gaius is what? He's loved. We see here three times. Look at verse 1. To the elder, to the beloved Gaius. He's beloved. He loves him. Whom I love in the truth. Verse 2, he starts off by saying beloved. He loves this guy. Verse 5, he says the same thing. Beloved. Like, dear child, he loves this guy. In fact, in verse 4, he talks about how he's my child. He, he's one that maybe John had a relationship with and, and led Gaius to Christ. And so, and so this guy is very special to John. And, and he writes a letter to him, 219 words, and we're going to study it out here in a moment. But what, what a wonderful thing. In fact, he loves him so much, he's praying for him. Look at verse 2. He says, Beloved, I pray in all respects. 
Now, now notice this. I, I love that phrase because we don't see that in the Bible much. In all respects, he says, I'm going to cover everything about you in prayer. I'm going to cover your spiritual life, your physical life, all that you are, all that you do. In all that, I'm praying for you. Sometimes people tell you, I'm praying for you. What does that mean? Uh, God bless them. What does that mean? I'm thankful they're praying, but are they praying in all respects for me? And notice this in verse 2. He's praying in all respects. He's going to cover it all. Physical, spirit, everything here. Notice this in verse 2. He says, here's what I'm praying for. The first thing I'm praying is that you may prosper. Now, he's not talking about financially here. Although the health and wealth preachers, they'll tell you that this is a financial prayer. This has nothing to do with finances here. The word prosper speaks of being on the right road, going down a good road and being safe on that road. <laughs> I had uh, somebody come up to me just before we traveled on a bus. He says, I got good news and bad news for you. I says, give me the bad news. The bad news is that the route that you want to go is cut off. The good news is it's cheaper. So I thought, okay, I'm going to save money, but I'm not going to make it. <laughs> How is that good news? And so we saved some money and we got on this route and you would not believe this route. It was cut off. We go and we're in the mud. The, the driver's going like 100 miles an hour around the curves and all this. One of the pastors in the front seat said, what happens if we hit one of these bushes and go over the bush? I said, right away, we're going to heaven. Because <laughs> it was a deep steep right after that. It was crazy, the journey. Back then, they had crazy journeys too. So he's praying for him. He says, I want you to have a safe journey. I want you to, to prosper, to, to be on the right path, to go well. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to have good health. You know, there's nothing wrong. Oftentimes, we think about it's wrong to pray for people's health. There's nothing wrong to pray for people's health. Here's the problem. That's all we pray for. This guy's sick. This guy has cancer. This guy's foot hurts. This guy's going on here. This guy has an operation. I mean, it's, just, it's endless. And, and I know this one who has a friend, whose who's mother, whose daughter, whose cousin of the friend, who knew somebody down the block who lives about three blocks from her sick. Can you pray for him, Pastor? And they're all about health things. And there's nothing wrong with praying for health things. My mother is going to see a cancer doctor next week, and she's had cancer twice. And she said, that, Jeremy, please pray for, for the, uh, the cancer. You know, I have to meet him, pray that everything comes back well. Here's what's interesting about this prayer. When somebody asks you to pray for health, I want you to quote 3 John 2. And here's what I want you to tell them. I'm praying that you go on a good journey. I'm praying that you've got good health. But I'm praying that your health reflects your spiritual health. Anybody want to pray that? <laughs> that you're doing as well physically as you're doing as well spiritually. Could you imagine if we prayed that for people and God answered that? How they would look after we, they answered that? I mean, could you imagine asking somebody, pray, pray for my physical health to reflect my spiritual health. But this is what he says. He says, I'm praying for you that you prosper, that you're on the good path, the right path, that you're on the safe path, that you have the good health there, that your health is okay, just as your soul is doing well. One guy writes this. He says, what if I were to pray for you and ask God to bless you physically in the same degree you are healthy spiritually? What if he answered my prayer? What would happen? Would, would you be fit? Would you be sick in bed? 
or you, would you be nearly dead? That's powerful. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, Gaius, I love you. I, I, I thank God for you. You're, you're amazing. I love you in the truth. I, I love you. And I'm praying for all respects. I'm praying for everything about you. And I'm praying that your physical health reflects your spiritual health. Wow, what a prayer. That you're, you're, you're walking just as well physically as you're walking spiritually. Wow. Think about that for a moment. And he's going to talk about why this guy is spiritually walking well. We're going to see here in verses 3 and on why he's walking well. We're seeing that he's the real deal in verses 3 and 4. We're going to see that here in a moment. We're seeing in 5 and 6 that he, he's walking well because he's serving others even though he doesn't know them. And then we're going to see in verses 7 and 8 that he's walking well and he's spiritually well because he is generous with people who are going out for the sake of Christ. Watch, walk through this with me. Verse 3. Look what he says here. He says, you are the real deal. Your life matches your lips. Notice this in verse 3. He says this. I am glad. He's elated. John is so excited here. Why? Because the brethren came and testified to what? To your truth. This is an interesting little phrase here. He says, I am glad because the brethren are coming and they're saying to me that you are the real deal. You are true. How many people do we know that are fakes that come to churches? A lot of them. That put on the outside that everything is okay, but on the inside, that's not who they are. Or they're nice here to their wives, but when they go home, they're mean to their wives and they say things to their wives they would never say when I'm in the house. And they're totally different. Let me give you an example of one. Used to come here. Somebody else on the outside asked me, does so-and-so come to your church? I said, oh yeah, they come faithfully. They're here all the time. They said, really? Wow. That person goes to your church? I was like, whoa, I thought this person was a good, nice, sweet, always nice and sweet when they came here. They were nice and sweet when they came here, but they weren't nice and sweet when they were at their job. Then let me give you a good example of that, and I don't want to bring too much glory to Stephen Stout, but we had to call some of his references. And let me just tell you, we were looking for things that were wrong with him. And guess what? We couldn't find it. Not only that, they praised him. They said, this guy is the real deal. He wants to be a leader in your church? That's great, because he's real where he is at work too. That's a Gaius. There's no dichotomy. Look at this. Look what one guy says. Whoever walks in the truth is, is an integrated believer. He is one where there's no dichotomy between profession and practice. The, on the contrary, it's exactly what he is in creed and conduct. I love that. He's not one thing here in the church and one thing at home and one thing at his job and one thing out in the, when he's playing sports. He is the same thing everywhere he goes. That's what God wants of us. We need to be the real deal. We need to be the same person everywhere we go. We ought to walk in truth. And here's what he says. I am delighted. I am elated over this guy. Why? Because people are saying, not him, himself. Watch out when somebody says to you, hey, by the way, I'm the real deal everywhere I go. Those kind of people, guess what? They're not the real deal everywhere they go. If you have to say that about yourself, you've missed it. Let others say that about you. He says it right here. 
He says, people are coming. They're testifying to your truth. How you are walking in truth. How you're the real deal. And here's verse 4. I love this. I have no greater joy. I am elated. Nothing else can make me happier than this. I am so excited about this. Excited about what? To hear that his child won a tournament? No. To hear that his child is making a lot of money? No. It's amazing our parents get all excited about things that have nothing to do with eternity. Oh, my kid makes six figures. So what? Oh, my kid, do you know how he plays this sport? He's amazing. So what? What's that going to be in eternity? Look what he's excited about. He says, I am so delighted. I am elated. Why? Because I hear my children are doing what? They're walking in truth. They're the real deal. I look at our kids and I say, God, help us. Ellie left for college yesterday. And let me just tell you, it never gets easy. I, I thought it was going to get easier after the, the second time. Katie's in tears. I'm struggling. We had a hard time sleeping last night. She's back at school. She's serving the Lord. We thank God she's safe in, in doing that. But boy, losing her and having her there is really hard. I, I took her book shopping uh, two days ago. That's something that she loves. By the way, she asked me that question. Daddy, what's my limit? <laughs> you know what that means? <laughs> you know when she asked me that? When she had a pile of books already in her hand. Now, who's going to say to her, honey, put all those books back? She's too sweet for that. Okay, let's buy them. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. I'm looking at the cash and I'm like, wow. Is there any coupons for this? I asked the bird, nothing. Nothing now. She loves books. She loves the Lord. She loves to read. Here's what bothers me. You buy her these, all these books. You know how long they last? Not even a week. She's in the car. She's on page 100 already. We didn't even get home. It takes me a month to read 100 pages. She's there in the car. But she absorbs it. She loves it. And she loves God. That should bring joy to our hearts. So what that she's smart? She's not athletic. She's got like six toes. She can't walk from here to there without tripping. But so what? She loves the Lord. She loves the Bible. She loves souls. She loves to see people come to Christ. Those are the things that should bring us joy. And here, and here John is saying, I am so delighted. I, I am so delighted that you're the real deal. And that you are committed to truth and you're walking in truth. And it's not just something that we do by ourselves. It manifests itself in other people. Notice in verse 5. A real deal is going to be faithfully caring for other people and serving other people. Look what he says. Beloved, he says, you are acting faithfully. We would say this in our English. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. You're doing amazing. Here's what you're doing. He, he makes it broad here in verse 5. And whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and he's going to mention specifically what he's doing for the brethren. He's opening his home for brethren. And here's what's amazing. He's opening his home and opening his wallet and helping people he doesn't even know. Strangers. It's one thing if we help somebody we know and we say, hey, so-and-so is struggling with this. I'm going to help him out. But people you don't even know? That's where we should, it shows your love. I lived it this week. After an eight-hour terrible bus ride, we get off the bus, and here's a guy named Fabian. I don't know Fabian. 
Never met Fabian. I've talked to him before, but I never met him. He says, I'm here to pick you up. I'm here to take you out to eat. Where, are you gonna, where do we want to go? I said, well, wherever you want to take us. He said, all right, we're going to go eat some rice and bananas. I'm thinking, holy cow, I've been eating rice and bananas all week. But if you want to take me for rice and bananas, I'm going to go for rice and bananas. So we're in the car. He goes, before we go to rice and bananas, I want to show you some other things. I own apartments. I own all this and that. So he takes us to some of his apartments. Next to his apartments that he has is a pizza joint. And I tell you, God loves us. <laughs> Hamburgers and pizza. I said, Fabian. I said, do you mind if we eat this? I mean, as much as we like uh, rice, and be- uh, rice and bananas, you know, I, uh, we've eaten a lot of that this week. Do you mind if we have some pizza? And he goes, I don't mind. I own that place. Oh. You own it? Praise God! Oh, God for us! Boy, we ate pizza. You ate hamburgers like that. I mean, I mean, it was amazing. God, he didn't even know us. The bill comes, right? You know that... I got it, kind of a slow uh, thing, you know what I mean? You put your hand up. He, we didn't even have to say that. Fabian was right on it. Boom, he paid for everything, took care of us. After we ate everything, he says, you know what? He goes, hey, you guys, you, you, you're tired? We were exhausted. We want to go see the city? Takes us out to the city. He takes us up into this place, takes us all over. He never even met us. He doesn't even know us. And he loves us. Here's what he says. Look at Gaius. Look what he's doing. He's saying you accomplish this for the brethren, especially when they're strange. You don't even know them. You don't even know them, but you're faithfully serving them. And, and notice this in verse 6. They're testifying to your love before the church. They're letting people know you truly not only walk in truth, you truly walk in love. That's a balanced believer. That's one who knows that it's not just truth that we absorb, but we also show love to other people, even when we don't know them. And they testified of that and how they took good care of them. Here's what's amazing about these Ecuadorian believers. They were incredible. The, the Argentines made a mistake that came with us and bought tickets for three days later. They had nowhere to go. But what do the Ecuadorian believers do? They take care of them. They took them out to eat. They kept them in there. They, they, they took care of them all that they needed. Every day they were with people. They didn't even know them. That's love. The real deal knows how to show love for people that we don't even know. And watch why he should do that. And it's going to cost us something. Financially cost us. Watch this. He says this, you will do well to send them on their way. You have that sign on your house? Guests are like fish. After three days, they do what? They stink. Or as my grandfather would say, here's your hat, where's your hurry? Or a nice way of saying it is, you may not know my house too well, but there's the door over there. But really, what he's saying is this. It's not that we just open our homes to keep them there forever. It's that they are to come into our homes where to receive them, where to refresh them, and then we're to release them. They're to go back out. And here's what he says. He says, you will do well to do what? To send them in on their way. 
Send them on their way. You know what that means? That word, this is incredible. It means that you are not only to feed them, you are not only to pay for their expenses, you are to wash their clothes, pull out your sewing kit, and fix some of their clothes. You are to take care of them in every way possible. Wow. That's amazing. That's why I thank the Lord that on the way back I went to see my mom before I came and saw Katie because I said, Mom, I got a big load of laundry. And she took the laundry and boom, she did everything, folded it beautiful and put it back in my bag. Praise God for that. Katie didn't have to mess with anything. Part of that is this. As you see them, they come, you support them in such a way, you give them food, you give them money, you give them everything. You make their trip as, as comfortable as possible, he says here. You do well to do that. You say, why do we have to do that for people that are going out and preaching the gospel? Why don't they just get their own job and raise their own money and take care of their own selves? Well, he's going to tell us right here in verse 7. We're to do this here in a way that's worthy of God. We do it because we want to glorify God. And here's a way that's worthy of God. Notice this, why we should take care of them. He says, for they went out for the sake of what? Of the name. I love that phrase. Because they're going out proclaiming Jesus Christ. They're going out representing Jesus Christ. It is so easy for a ministry to turn into a business. And all of a sudden it's run about money. We need money for this and money for that. And it's a business and all it is a business. And it makes people feel bad. We had a group come in like that in Sheraton, Iowa. Where they made people feel bad. They said, we were in one church where a lady had no money so they gave us her car. Anybody want to do that? Let's pass the plate again. And it's all about money. No, he's not talking about that here. He's saying, look, these people are going out to glorify Christ. These people are going out for the sake of his name. They are preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, the real Jesus. And salvation is only in his name. What a wonderful way to minister. It's because we're concerned about the name of Christ. I love what uh, Coach uh, Griebel says to the people. It's Griebel, right? I can't get his name, last name right. He says to the kids, he says to the high school kids, he says, look, when you're out here, you're representing Whitefield, you're representing your coaches, you're representing your team, and you're representing yourself. So you better behave yourself. You know what he's saying here in the passage? He's saying when they go out, they're representing Jesus Christ. What a wonderful way to live. Everywhere we go, whether we say it or not, we're representing Jesus Christ. We are out there on the behalf of His name. And we are preaching His name. And we're living for His glory. And we want His name exalted, not ours. He said, you ought to do it because they're going out for your name. Look at the next one. You ought to do it because they're not accepting anything from the Gentiles. It's, it, it's easy to go to the world and ask for the money and, and, and people who are millionaires and all that and go ask for them. But he said, they're not, they're, not, they're not depending upon unbelievers to fund God's work. They're depending upon God's people to do it. They're not accepting anything from, from the Gentiles. And yet, yet we see ministries doing that and, and going out into unsaved people and saying, will you support this? We're trying to preach Christ. No. This is God's work. This is for God's people. And we depend upon God's people to do it. He said, these are the people you're doing. And look at this here. We ought to, verse 8, support such men. We ought to get behind such 
people. We ought to open up our wallets to such people. We ought to open up our homes to such people. We ought to open up our hearts to such people. Here's why. Notice this. The support there is not just giving them five dollars and saying the Lord bless you. This is opening up everything. This is doing everything we can. Receiving them. Refreshing them. Releasing them. Being a part of them. Here's why. Look at this verse. This is a beautiful verse. When we do this, we become fellow workers with them. Some of you know we have six missionaries that we support in our church. Do you know that we have a part in what's happening in Kenya right now? Do you know that we have a part in what's happening in Peru right now? Did you know what's going on in Peru with the floods and all that? I don't know if you guys heard in Trujillo what's happening. Their houses are being flooded. People are being flooded like crazy. We got a missionary there that's, that's ministering to them. Do you know by us helping them financially, we are having part of what God is doing in Peru? Do you know that, that, that Dave is in Kenya right now and we're supporting him and, and, and we have a part in what he's doing there in Africa? Do you know that we, as we partner with missionaries, we have a part of what God is doing in, in, in the world. And here's what's amazing. I love what this guy says here. He says, we may not physically go where they go, but we can go with them anyway by our support. All pray, all give support, some are sent. All are essential as we cooperate together in the work of God. It is well said there is no limit to how much good we can do if we don't care who gets the credit. God multiply the sent. God multiply the supporters. It is so easy for us to become unbalanced. And get a strong commitment to truth. And yet we forget the love part. And it's so easy for us to say, we're balanced believers, but then we keep our wallets closed. This is for God's work. We're getting behind them because they're out doing it for God's name. They don't need our money. They'll do it without but what a wonderful thing to be a part. And that's what made Gaius a special person. Because he had a heart for that. Do you have a heart for that? If I was to ask your boss or your friend or your wife or your spouse or your children, if you're the same person here in the church that they see at home, what would they say? Think about that. If... if if I was to pray for you to be physically well as you're doing spiritually, would you, able to, would you be able to get in your car next week and drive to church? Or would I have to go visit you in ICU? If somebody was to ask, how are you faithfully serving other people? What would your response be? Well, I go to church, but I'm not serving anyone. Well, if someone is to ask you, when was the last time you opened up your wallet and sent some money to a missionary and helped them and partnered with them? What would your response be? You see, that's why John, with all the things that he went through, can rejoice in a Gaius. Because that's a balanced believer. So I pray that for all of us. And the question is here, are you that person? Where there's no dichotomy, that is faithfully serving others, even though you don't know them. 
And that is giving your heart, your home, your finances to those who are ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants out of us. Boy, next week we're going to deal with a guy I hate in the Bible. Diotrephes. Ooh. Well, we got to deal with those too. But let's rejoice today in Gaius for a moment. But next week, forget about it. I may miss next week. Yeah, I mean, his guy is terrible. But we got to deal with him. Because there's those guys too in the church. But let's praise God for Gaius and ask, Lord, am I like that? Lord, help me to be like that. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you so much for this wonderful passage of Scripture. What a great example of what it means to be balanced. No dichotomy. To be the real deal. God, I pray that for every one of us here. It's so easy to put up a front in the church and then yet go home and be a totally different person. Lord, help us not to be like that. Help us to be the same and help others to recognize that. Help us to be faithful in serving. And whatever we accomplish for the brethren, maybe it's just a little bit that we can do. Some of us can do more, some of us can do less. But whatever it is, Lord, use us, we pray, to minister to your people, even though we may not know them. Help others to testify of our love for people that we don't know. And then, Lord, I pray that we would have a heart for missions, a heart for those who are serving and sharing Christ. And that heart is seen not only with our lips, but with our wallets. And so help us, Lord, to have that priority. I thank you for a church that does give to missions, that does care for those around them, that is sending money to different parts of the world. Help us to grow and increase in that. And help us to bring honor and glory to you through it. We love you. Thank you for the wonderful example of Gaius. Help our lives to be like his. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. If you would, please stand with us. <laughs>